Welcome back to the Technology in Worship podcast. I'm your host, Eric Coleman, and I'm here with my good buddy, Benji Zatorius. And we are back in the studio recording another episode for you all. We're always in the studio. Always in the studio or always at church working. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, we're back here recording an episode. And this week we're going to talk about broadcast audio. Um, In the world of COVID specifically, broadcast audio became very much more important and a focus among many churches. So we just thought we would bring our take on that to this conversation. Uh, So Benji, maybe you can fill us in on, like elaborate more on like why broadcast audio is so important. Yeah, so broadcast audio or maybe audio in general is Super, super important. Uh, Back on episode seven, we talked about mobile filming and recording. And I said in that episode that you can have bad video or maybe low quality video. But as long as you have good audio, your listeners will probably still stay engaged, most likely. But if you had great video and poor audio, chances are they're not going to be as engaged and watch the entire service, most likely. And I've heard of that happening with different church services. Yeah. People who are just kind of church shopping, jumping around online. It's usually one of the reasons that they jump away from someone's stream is not necessarily the content of the stream. Right. It's just more the quality of the stream. It's just not up to snuff of where the world is at right now. Yep. I mean, you got, we live in a digital world. I would say most people nowadays probably will check out your church service or your church in general long before they step foot in your church building, if they're church shopping. Whether they might be moving to that area and they're not quite there yet, they might start searching for a church before they move, or they just maybe all of a sudden want to start going to church. And so they will jump online or Facebook and check out the churches in the area. And typically that's how I would say in today's world, that's how people look for churches. One of the most important parts of your worship services is your screen. Think about it. Everyone in your congregation looks to your screen for song lyrics, sermon notes, announcements, and scripture. It's a big deal. To keep your screens looking their very best, look no further than Church Motion Graphics. CMG has all of the eye-catching worship backgrounds, sermon and announcement slides, countdown videos, and more to bring your screens to life. Head over to churchmotiongraphics.com now to find your next great look. This topic of mixing broadcasts, uh, there's a lot of different angles and ways of doing this. Very similar how we were talking a couple episodes ago about mixing monitors and all the different types of ways to do that. There's a hundred different ways to mix broadcast. So a very simple way would be just taking just a straight left-right out, out of your front of house board and sending that to your camera or video switcher sending that to your live stream and bada bing, bada boom. it is what it is. The next would probably do some sort of matrix aux mix, separate mix from the front of house board. Very similar. Take that out of the board, go to your switcher and boom, your live streaming audio. The third way would be some sort of like matrix off of your front of house board, which would be basically combining a few different types of outputs, combining those into a single, or I should say a stereo uh, output, going that to your switcher and then to your stream. The next I would say is almost very similar to the second option, which would be a just an aux off the board, but in a separate room with a different, with a separate person mixing that. So you can get him uh, or her a pair of studio speakers or headphones and an iPad app if you've got a digital console and they can mix the stream basically still off your front of house board, but it is a separate mix 
And then I would say after that is a, a separate broadcast board for mixing. And even within that, there's a few different ways that you can mix that. Uh, I've seen some churches, they'll take a couple left-right stems from their front of house board, send those to a separate board. Then they just get mixed that way as like mixing groups of things. So like a drum group, guitar group, vocal group, computer group, that type of thing. And then one step further would be a totally separate mix and a board that can uh, do that. And even further than that, maybe, or along the same lines, is doing the mixing in a box DAW style of things. Which is really catching wind, I would say, probably since COVID. And in today's world, just the musical person, like I would say a lot of people have used a DAW if they're in, if they play an instrument. Uh, like GarageBand. It might not be as big as like Pro Tools and things like that, but they've probably have used GarageBand or Audacity or something along those lines just to get a quick mix of their vocal or their guitar or something like that. So yeah, the world of DAW is really... uh, Expanding at the moment. Yeah. Let's dive in a little deeper on a lot of those different ways of mixing. Specifically, pros and cons to each one. All right, so let's talk about. We'll just kind of go in the same order. Let's talk about the left, right, left, right mix off of your front of house console. Yep. What do you see as some of the pros for that and some of the cons? So I would say a a pro would be it's very simple. There's not much added thinking or calculations. There's not much complexity. You don't need another volunteer. If you don't hear it in the house, you probably won't hear it on the stream. So it's it really does mimic what your house is doing or as far as like your board channels on, unmuted, things like that. So there's not a, oh, I got to turn this up on the broadcast, but not in the house or vice versa. It's just, if it's on, it's on in both both areas. But I'd say a con would be it probably will sound very dead or boxy. You might have a hard time mixing in room mics because typically if it's off the left, right, it's got to be in the left, right in order to be coming out the left, right, which means you're mixing your audience mics into your room, which you don't want to do that. That's a no-no. Yeah. That's a no-no. What would, would you say is a pro or a con to just straight left, right? I think the biggest pro is the less complexity thing. I really do. Um, Very volunteer friendly. Walk up, mix it, and you know that it's going online to your stream. Whether it sounds good or bad, that's a different story. Con is, I mean, pro is what your fader does, your stream does. The con is what your fader does, the stream (laughs) does. There's not a ton of like added... Uh, room for flexibility or room for error even. And you can't turn one up or down without affecting the other. Correct. The next way to mix would be using an aux send off your main front of house board. And that gets you a little bit more variety. And I think that's what you guys used to do at Harvest. Is that correct? Um. Well, no, we, that's what you do in your youth room. That's what we do room. in our youth room. Right. So, and actually speaking to the prior one, we used to do the main left, main right. left right mix for our stream years ago. Yeah. Um, but then we got a little bit smarter and moved on to <laughs> one of the steps a little bit later in this process. Yep. But uh, yeah, in our youth room right now, we're, we have a dedicated stereo aux for recorded content. Uh, we're not really streaming from that room right now too often at least. And but uh yeah, it just gives us the flexibility. They're all post fade. Yep. So it still tracks with the fader movement, but if we need the snare to be louder on the stream, we can boost it up on the aux. On the aux. Yep. Um, but then we still get like the fader mutes and everything like that. Or right. if a vocalist is a little bit quieter. In or maybe too loud in the room and we need to bump them down on the stream, we can do that as well. Right. Um, so that's, I mean, I think an aux mix is 
it's pretty good. And ox mix for a lot of even scenarios. though we even though it, that's number two in our list, I would say that is a very easy way to get a pretty decent sounding mix without super overcomplicating things. Yeah. So, because you you kind of have a separate mix, you can add things, take away things without affecting the main room. So, what would be a pro and a con to that? Another pro for that one, two pros. You still get the fader follow. Yep. As far as so, when you adjust it in the house, it does affect the stream. Yep. Uh, at least when you set it up as a post fader right, mix. Right. And then you also another pro is I do believe it's still pretty user friendly as far as volunteer walking in, being able to learn that and adjust it quickly. It's pretty user friendly. Because really, unless you have a lot of things changing from week to week as far as like different inputs, once you go through the time to kind of get it semi-balanced where if it sounds good in the room, it probably sounds decent on the stream, your audio engineer might not really have to touch it yep. or at least touch it a lot. Uh, he can just focus. Listen to it during he, rehearsal Yeah, he can throw quick. a pair of headphones on or whatever or just mix the room and know that it's going to sound semi-decent for the stream. And a pro in that, another pro in that setup is you have a lot of flexibility as far as yeah. every input has little fine tweaking that you can do to it as far as the fader level. Yeah. You don't have a con still in that setup is you don't have your own independent like EQ or other processing right. effects like that. Right. You still get whatever the front of house board is doing, front of house mix is doing. Right. Here's a little trick to that. Oh, I like tricks. So if your board has enough channel count and you don't have that many inputs, you can double everything. That's true. And then you would have a separate everything. So a separate EQ and compressor, compression and all that stuff for just the stream. That's true. So if you have a 32-channel board and you're only using 16 inputs, take your kick if that's channel 1, start that on channel 17, go down your line, double everything, and then you have you do have a separate processing EQ and, and processing EQ for, for everything. That. Yep. There you go, folks. Little tip and trick for there you. There you go. All right. Uh, so I would say a pro would be if it's a digital board, you can add compression to the overall. Uh, typically on an aux, you can add compression to boost your volume a little bit more and to kind of get things glued a little bit more. You can add room mics at this point without sending those to front of house. Yep. Which is a very big, important thing to do for a live mix. A con would be unless you are actively listening, whether that's with a headphone or a little studio speaker in your booth, you really don't know how it sounds. You're just assuming it sounds decent or okay. So, but it is simple with a little bit more flexibility and better sound. The next one was a matrix, which is sending multiple outputs, combining those to a left-right stereo mix and sending that to your stream. Is that what you guys do at Harvest? That's what we're doing. And that's kind of what you do, right? For your front of house mix as well? Before... Kind of. Kind of. Yeah, you have a little bit of a different trick yes. and hardware tool we involved. Do. We do. So in my context with the Matrix Mix, what I've done is I've set up uh, groups on our Allen and Heath console. So all of the drums are sent to a group before they go to front of house. And then that group is sent to the front of house. So drums come into a group, and then the group audio is being sent to the front of house mix, what mm -hmm. you hear. So then that goes down the line for bass guitar, has its own bass group. Other guitars, like electric guitars, have their own electric guitar group, acoustic keys, vocals. And yep. then I have one called speak for anything that's like spoken word, like the preacher. Um, preaching, odds and ends like that as well. Yep. Um, but what that gives me is that option 
to add some parallel compression for mm. both front of house and for the stream. And then simultaneously, I still get that fader follow movement, but I also have like it independently controlled as an entire group. Right. So can turn up and down the drums on the stream in relation to the level of the vocals overall, which right. is really similar to what the aux mix is doing. Right. The aux is individual. It's individual, and this is just more of a group yep. of things together, but in our context, that seems to be working. Well, and you do, like you said, you get group compression. Yes. Where you oh, you wouldn't get that with just going straight aux. You would get the individual channel compression, and then you can add the compressor to the overall aux, and that's it. Yeah, and in this, I can get it on the group as well as then the matrix yep. to give it that glue and tighten it up. Uh, what you don't know before this podcast, too, is that Benji and I went through our weekend services, and we just sat over here with his studio monitor set up, and we kind of evaluated our mixes. We did which was pretty fun to do. But uh, yeah, that's how we're using our matrix mixes. How are you? So for Mission, we really have two separate setups, depending on if we have a volunteer or not for mixing broadcast. So for a long time, a very long time, we ran a, a few matrix outs that went to a... SimNet 8-channel auto mixer that then got combined with room mics. And then the output of that went to the live stream. So let me break that down a little bit. So we had one matrix from our, at that time, it was a M7CL. That was a band group. So anything that was instrument related or a vocal, as in a singer, all got passed to that group. And sorry, and computers. So like computers, iPads, phones, things like that. And then we had a speech group. So anything that was just speaking. So announcement mic, pastor mic, anything like that would get sent to that group. So then that's four outputs from our board, two stereo mixes. Those go into a SimNet auto mixer as for inputs. And then we had room mics throughout the room that would also go into that mixer. And within that, it had a DSP processor that would basically auto mix those inputs together. It allowed the speaking to be the same volume as the band. So going back a couple of steps, like the option one of just straight left, right, and even the aux, a lot of times you will have a problem where your music is a lot louder than any time there's something just speaking going on. So what this did was basically auto mix that volume to be very close to the same. And then it would mix in room mics. So another example would be if there was no sound in the room or if there was a long pause between something, whether that's just speaking or between songs, it would automatically raise the volume of the room mics just to add a little bit more life to the stream. So we actually still have that in, in our signal chain today, even though we're running a CL5, but exact same setup. So band group, speech group, auto mixed with room mics for when we don't have a dedicated broadcast engineer for the weekend. And it has gotten pretty good. We have fine-tuned it a little bit. If it sounds bad in the house, it's going to sound bad on the stream. But if it sounds decent or really, really good, good in the house, it sounds decent, maybe not really good, but it sounds decent in the uh, on the stream as well. And so we run pitch control, we run other plugins and stuff like that as well at front of house. So the live stream does get those as well, which does help a lot. But yeah, it's it's decent for really not having to worry about it. 
we don't throw headphones on and check it at all. I never do. So I just know if it sounds good in the room, it's, it's going to sound, sound good, good on the stream. So that's uh, what we use. And with our Matrix Mix, we do throw on headphones from time to time during rehearsal just to dial it in and make sure that it's good to go. Right, because you are adjusting your groups. Yeah, adjusting yeah. the groups. And if I'm free, if I'm not running in front of house or doing some other position, I will go into our little mini broadcast studio suite area where we have a big knob connected to a system of some monitors, headphones, and um, I can individually just like sit there for a while and mix the stream on that matrix mix or even do that during services. With an iPad. With an iPad connected to the main board. Pros and cons to matrix mixing. Pros, you still get fader follow. I really like fader follow. Sounds like it, because you've said that with every single one of them. Yeah, it's also nice that I'm pretty sure I just came up with that alliteration (laughs) of fader follow. (laughs) And I think that's great. I want to put that on a t-shirt or something. We should patent it and make a t-shirt. And so you get the fader follow, you get the extra glue you want for front of house as well as for the stream you don't get the cons are you don't get like the still the separate right compression processing and all that that stuff and a pro still is that even though you get the fader fall you can still bump up your overall drum group or overall vocal group or turn down your overall keyboard group so you have a lot of flexibility and i think in, in the pinch that you still don't have a volunteer or a staff member able to do a broadcast mix separately, which we don't right now, mm-hmm. it's just great to have that available to us and right. still keep it pretty user-friendly. Yep. Yeah, I would say a pro for our context is you basically don't even have to think about it as like, oh, I'm mixing broadcast. Like, no, you're mixing front of house and broadcast is just getting what you're sending it, which is nice. And it sounds pretty stinking good for not really having to think about it. I think there's a little bit of a compliment in there. So let's just go for it, Benji. Eric, your stream is is definitely getting better. Yes! <laughs> I remember some... I wouldn't say early days because it really wasn't that long ago. And I just was like, Eric, do this, do that. Maybe try this, maybe try that. And uh, you're you're getting there. I'm coming along. It's, it's, it's sounding decent. That's right. Decent. A con, which is what you said, is you do not get separate processing. No, you don't. And you don't really have really much individual control. So like as far as our context, it's if it's live in the house, chances are it's going to be live on the stream. And we have just dialed it in where it mimics as be- as close as you can get to mimicking the live room sound to sound good on the live stream. Yeah. So next, I would say, oh, actually next on the list was an aux send, but a, separate, kind of but a separate person mixing it. Ah, yes. Which is kind of what I alluded to with our Matrix, Matrix yeah. version. But you could do that with the aux with version, the aux, yep, and have someone sitting in a different area with Put headphones in a closet. and mixing on an iPad to really dial in that stream. Right. Yeah, you can. You could do this. I mean, if you have a really good set of headphones, you could do this from front of house. But obviously, being outside of the room in a separate room, isolated room, you can get it to sound better because you are isolated. So, what you are hearing is what the stream is getting versus some bleed through the headphones if your worship service is loud and you're in the same room. And it's good to have other reference headphones as well. Right. I know I've used like AirPods or some studio monitor headphones just because, you know, people are listening listening on different devices. So in a separate space, it's a little bit easier to hear those minor differences. Right. So a couple of quick and easy ways to you could get this up and running. If you are on Dante, you can go as easy as getting a Focusrite AM2 
headphone interface, and that gets power over Ethernet. Shove that through the ceiling and drop it into a closet, and that gets you a few options because you can go headphones directly off of that sucker, and it does give you two XLR outputs for studio speakers and or monitors. So you can really mix or check your mix between those two devices pretty quickly. And an iPad. And you could be in a separate room isolated for less than $1,000. Easily less than $1,000. So that would be pretty, pretty cool. Now, obviously, you wouldn't be able to see anything. So that adds another layer to the complexity of you know a TV screen to see either a matrix view of off the switcher or just whatever the stream gets, that's what they see that adds more complexity. But you can go as simple as a RedNet, Focusrite RedNet AM2 interface, pair of headphones, pair of speakers, iPad, and you're, you're set. Pros and cons to that. Pros and cons to using an iPad aux or even just an ipad with the matrix i sure. think we could yeah. lump in here yep mixing from an ipad for off of the front for of a, board yeah for a mix um well pro is that you're starting to get into that more like you have a dedicated volunteer or staff member handling your online mix which is really great I yep. mean, you want someone to be able to dedicate to that cons you're still not getting that like extra processing and no outside of the board processing and no fader follow. No fader follow. Oh man. Oh no. That's a deal breaker for Eric. <laughs> it's not a deal breaker. <laughs> but it is it is convenient in not necessarily smaller settings but smaller team involvement yep. and less complexity because you add another layer of uh, error. Where sure. things can go wrong. For sure. Anytime you add equipment or add things to the signal chain or whatever, you're adding complexity of things can go wrong. So speaking of adding things for complexity. Yes. The next method for mixing is a dedicated mixing console. Yes. And we could probably lump in a, a DAW. DAW. Yeah, because you're... Because yeah. you're essentially using it as a mixing console. Yep. This is something that we at Harvest have attempted to do in the past and would like to do again in the future. Yep. But you're starting to implement this now with your Pro Tools rig. For sure. So maybe you can speak on it and do a deep dive into I would love to. the pros, cons, and everything in between. And even just what you have set up in here. It's pretty cool, actually. I, yeah, especially knowing that you had that Yamaha M7CL in here. <laughs> the massive 350 pounds <laughs> thing is a beast. digital soundboard. But it works. It still works. It still works. It's but amazing. now you've I've, cleaned I've, up I've slimmed quite down a, bit. a little bit. So we have had a separate mixing broadcast room for, I would say, at least three years maybe four, somewhere right around there, three to four years, we've separated our mix to a separate mixing room. This room is located uh, in the basement on the opposite end. It's of the our, same room this podcast is being recorded in. Fun yes. fact for you. Another fun fact. This is actually, if you go back and listen to episode one, Eric uh, called me out for busting down the door. This is the squishy room, the acclaimed squishy room. We are in this room. But now it's been turned into a nice <laughs> cave of wonders. It's a sweet cave of wonders, and the door is still on the hinges. But anyway, It's a different door now. <laughs> it is a different door. Well, the other one was destroyed. Anyways, so uh, yeah, so we've been separated for three to four years now. We still occasionally use the front of house matrix mix if we don't if we don't have a volunteer available for the weekend to mix our broadcast. However, the M7CL was in storage, and I'm like, I got I I feel like I should put this thing to to use. I was trying to sell it, I really couldn't sell it 
I'm like, you know what? It's time to take your live stream up a notch. Up a notch. So I basically built this room around having the M7CO. And it turned out really stinking cool. And I got into this room for, I believe, less than $2,000. That's pretty good. So, um, using our, equipment you had on hand. Yeah. So, our lead pastor, he got a new desk. And so, I took his old desk. We already had the M7CL. We already had an extra TV for us to view all of our cameras and the angles and all that stuff. You already had the Dante cards for the... We already had the Dante cards for the M7 because we were running Dante with that board when it was at front of house. Basically, all that I needed to buy were the speakers and some cabling. I'm pretty sure that is all I needed to buy. I already had a computer. I take that back. I did have to buy... At that time, it was multi-track and some plugins because we were running Waves plugins for that. So for less than $2,000, I was in this room and I'm like, it's almost a no-brainer. So I started pulling cables and got it all hooked up and it's pretty pretty cool. Uh, then fast forward to, I would say probably a year ago, I started thinking about how I could upgrade the board and whether that was going to a DAW or to a different console. And then I started thinking, okay, if I do a console, then I would, I would probably upgrade the CL5 that was at front of house and then move the CL5 down here because we, we are maxing out the outputs on that CL5. And then I don't know what hit me, but I'm like, you know what? I'm going with a DAW. And that's what I did. You were kind of against the DAW, weren't you, for a little while? Or maybe not against, but like resistant to? I was. So let's go down that rabbit trail a little bit. I never really had anything against using a DAW specifically. Controlling. It, it was a concern of a backup plan if that were to fail. Because obviously you're, you are relying strictly on the computer. And let's face it, computers fail all the time. Yeah, software, software decides update to in the shut middle, down. Software locks up, shuts down. Uh, if you're running a Windows computer, decides to have an update right in the middle of the service, whatever it might be. And obviously, if you're running plugins, the more plugins you are running, the more taxing it is on your computer. So my concern wasn't really necessarily using a DOS specifically, but what happens when that fails? Do you have a backup plan that is relatively quick or is the live stream basically out of luck back when i built the room originally with the m7 i put in a backup plan right away where what i was doing is i was sending the left right out of the m7 up to front of house to our simnet auto mixer and what that box was doing is if it sensed audio from the broadcast suite, it automatically muted the room mics, the band group, and the speech group. Because I had the room mics down here. That's really into nice. This. And so I didn't need the room mics through the auto mixer. Yeah. And I believe I set up an eight second delay. So if it did not sense audio for eight seconds it automatically switched to the front of house board. The reason why I did that was because I was running Waves plugins over Dante and the way that I was having things routed, people might cringe a little bit at this because this is... Cringeworthy. I, I would not recommend this at Benji all. cringed when he set it up. I did. But there was really no other way around it at the time or at least within the budget I was wanting to spend or lack thereof is I was actually running my plugins in line and not as an insert because I couldn't. If, if the computer were to fail, I could not bypass the inserts on the M7 and let the show go on. It was a all in or nothing, no audio until the computer restarted basically. 
And so I put a fail safe in right away. I don't think I ever had to use it, if I remember correctly, but it was there and it was in place. And then fast forward now, we are mixing on a DAW 80% of the time. We're not using it every weekend, but we're going that direction. So we have started using Pro Tools with Waves plugins and using a, a Mac Pro trash can, running that. Everything just running the... Which you had on hand. Which I had on hand as well. From leftover from Pro Presenter or something previously? That was our old Pro Presenter rig because we're on an M1 now. So yeah, it was, it's kind of silly to say that I had a Mac Pro as like an extra computer just laying around, but yeah. I basically had a Mac Pro as a extra computer laying around. However, it was an extra computer, but we were actually doing multi-track recording with it for probably a year. Uh, so we were using it, but not using it every single weekend. And we were doing some automation through Pro Tools for one of our Easter services. I think it was last year where it was controlling ProPresenter and lights and all that stuff over MIDI. So it was being used, but not to the extent that it probably should have been used. So we, over the last, uh, I don't know, probably six to eight months now, I've been working on getting just Pro Tools set up a clean and easy interface, trying to make it as easy and volunteer friendly as possible. The first couple weeks or months I was using it, I was just using basically a mouse to adjust the faders and a nano controller, a little eight channel USB guy. And it worked pretty well. However, that's not motorized faders. So if I moved it on Pro Tools and not, on the controller, it would jump and... Which can be very frustrating. <laughs> yes. So then, now I've upgraded to an S an Avid S1, which I do plan on getting, I think, two more. Three wide. Three wide. And that and would give you 24? That would give, give me 24 faders, but you can change the bank to set up or to look at and control other channels. You can lock specific channels to not ever change on those, but you can still change, you know, seven others if one was locked or whatever. So that's what we're doing now. And I'm loving it. It's sounding real good too. <laughs> it sounds amazing. Which is why we're sitting here also with this giant Personas mixer that <laughs> we had on hand at Harvest. And we were fiddling around with it here to see if we could get Pro Tools working with it, playing nicely. Not there yet, but not giving up. Nope. And it's worked with some other DAWs, so we're just yeah. trying to see which DAW uh, specifically for us at Harvest it would work well yeah. with. And for our streaming, it would be great to have some physical faders um, available to us that are motorized. Right. You guys probably have noticed that there's little key phrases that we use in most podcasts like game changer and sweet deal and things like that. Uh, a recent purchase of mine, which was a game changer. Was it a sweet deal as well? Um, it was not on sale. So bummer. <laughs> I know it wasn't as expensive as other options. So maybe a sweet deal, but 34 inch ultra wide curved monitor game changer dude amazing so up until this time i have n i think i've may have seen a curved monitor like at best buy or something but i've never like sat down at a computer and used one i have i have two 24 inch curved monitors at my desk but they are not ultra, ultra wide, wide. yeah Ultra wide is super nice, especially for the mixing side of it, because yes. you can see all your faders yep. up and down, or even video editing, you can see a fuller timeline. Right. Less scrolling. Less scrolling. The benefit I see still of the single monitors that I have, like two of them side by side, mm -hmm. is just like the window shifting that you can do in, yep. in the Mac OS. But for like some of these more creative things like video editing and audio. Ultra wide is the way to go. Yeah. 
yeah. So up until then, I think I was I was just using a single monitor because that's what I had laying around, and it was like a I don't know twenty two or twenty four inch monitor, something like that, just regular monitor laying around. But I got this, and with Pro Tools on it, it's amazing. Have you ordered one for my birthday yet? No. Oh, sad. When's your birthday? August. We'll get you one by August. Awesome. <laughs> I'll have it shipped to your house. Happy birthday. Sweet. Deal. Um, game changer. Game changer. So f- you guys at Harvest, you used a DAW for a little bit. Yep. Speak on that a little bit. Okay. Uh, we used coming. So COVID hit and we had been doing the matrix at that point. Um, but we hadn't dialed in everything to the extent that we have now. So coming into COVID, we had to record everything. We recorded separately. Um, we didn't do like a live stream on Sunday. We right. pre-recorded everything. And then we were mixing it in a DAW. Ableton? Ableton, Logic. mixture of Ableton and Logic yeah. at the time. We kind of bought both at the same exact time <laughs> to figure out which one was the best for us. And uh-huh. I I prefer Logic. Um, it's just I, that's because it's all Apple ecosystem, which right. is just the way Plus, I, I feel like, like I feel like Ableton. It is a DAW, but I would consider it more like a a straight recording, make some beats and playback and like keyboard control yeah yeah. i wouldn't really consider it much of like a active mixing it can be done but i feel like pro tools logic you you can see physical faders yeah that's that's what's nice about those and i think i think it took me a little bit to learn that as far as like yeah, Ableton has like the little triangle. It's, a little triangle. Like, like it's some, hard to grab it. Like I have pretty good vision and it's hard for me to see that little guy. Yeah. Maybe on a 34-inch ultra-wide curved monitor, it might be a little easier. Maybe not actually because it's a bigger monitor. I don't know. But so we're, we use Ableton weekly and it's great for our tracks. Right. Like playback of tracks and keyboard sounds. It's great. Um, Which I feel like that's kind of what it's designed for. That's what it's designed for. for. Yeah. Uh, and then because we had like an extra license, we loaded that onto this broadcast computer and which was, we're using, which is in, which it's, is, it's by front of house, but in a separate room, it's in a separate room yep. in, in a booth area. Um, and we had a nano control too, like you yep. here. And we would use that along with our mouse to grab the little tiny arrows <laughs> to click and drag. <laughs> Uh, mix the stream and that was all after we pre-recorded some we had access to a template in Ableton you know mixing in the DAW yep. for the live stream uh, so we did that with our pre-recorded stuff and then we transitioned that to our live uh, stuff but it has been up until recently it had been really difficult getting volunteers to man that area yeah but now God has blessed us with like this influx of volunteers. So I'm really excited for the future get that thing up and running. of Harvest to get that up and running and just train and develop nice. more volunteers. Yeah, I think starting off kind of like you, at least what you've told me you've been doing, is I'll end up being the one in the hot seat in the DAW, edit, like mixing and editing, yep. while the rest of the team, who knows what's going on in the service... At this point, yeah, they'll handle everything that's in the room. Yeah, I have not had a volunteer yet run Pro Tools yet. Even though we've been running it for, I don't know, probably three months now, maybe four, probably three. I still want to fine-tune the process before I get volu- do training and get volunteers on it. Yeah, one, you- it's a, it is a totally different can of worms than what they're used to. And it's a little more set up as far as like, creating a session or a, a session and saving it hitting the record button and things like that and i want to get probably two more s1 so less page flipping and stuff like that for our volunteers you want to know the ins and outs of it before you get 
a volunteer in it, which is great because yeah. you want to be able to diagnose any issues well, and I want it to be a good and, anytime I do anything with a volunteer, I want it to be a successful interaction with the volunteer. I want them to feel like it's going to work. I want them to feel like they know what they're doing. I don't want any issues because when something breaks or breaks frequently or doesn't work frequently, that's frustrating. And if I'm a volunteer, I'd be like, man, I just feel like I just don't know what I'm doing. Maybe I don't want to do this. And then you lose a volunteer. So I want everybody to have a good time doing it and to be successful at it. So It's so much fun volunteering with our teams. Yes. It's one of my favorite parts yep. of this ministry. Question on what you were talking about with Ableton. You purchased a, or you were, you had access to a template. How did that template work out for you? I would say the template itself is fine. And we've used it from time to time since then for just recordings or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, so the template, I think you can log on to any one of those offerings, whether it's productiononline.com yeah. or something from Churchfront or the Mixed You people. I don't know if they're building templates, but like any of those templates that you have access to are a great starting point. Mm -hmm. I don't know that it's always a just load it in and forget about the rest. Cause you yep. do still have to like select all your inputs and you have to know, you know, this is my drum channel. This right. is my vocal channel. So what you're saying is if I load a template, my band just doesn't automatically sound like elevation worship. They don't. Man. No. And down the line on this podcast, we do want to talk about the source material, getting it right yep. at the source yep. and how the musicians and where we place our microphones, yep. how we're amplifying that all play into this or microphone technique, how the microphone is being held, uh, all plays into how the ultimate outcome of the sound is right. going right. to come across. Yeah. Yeah. Templates, uh, they can be good and bad. I feel like it's an easy tool for people to buy and to not have to learn how to set up stuff or to do stuff. It's a good starting point. But it's a good starting point. So, yeah. I think a lot of those templates are also offering a video resource to go along with it to mm -hmm. help get you started. Yeah. So, mainly it's be sure to follow instructions. Yeah. And maybe not just jump in and be like, oh, yeah, I know what I'm doing. If you, especially if you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. Which is us. Yeah, most yeah. of the time. I just, I fake it till I make it. Let's quickly address... The elephant in the room. <laughs> you like elephants, don't you? Yeah. They're big. They're large and in charge. They start with E. Just like your name. Just like my name. Wouldn't it be great if you could just snap your fingers and immediately you'd get people more involved at your church? Picture it. People would press in during worship. They'd be fully focused during your sermons and they would be excited to hear announcements this is the wish of many churches because we all know the struggles of getting the attention of our community. That's where our friends at Church Motion Graphics can help. CMG equips churches with a large library of eye-catching graphics for worship, sermons, announcements, and more that will help you get attention and move your community forward in their faith. With just a few clicks, your church can start looking great, reaching more people, and getting more involvement than ever. Head over to churchmotiongraphics.com today. The question that probably everybody either is asking or has asked is, how come my stream always sounds quiet online? You're going to have to answer that one because I think ours still is quiet <laughs> online from time to time. All right, I'll answer it. So when you're mixing for broadcasts, very little changes make a huge make difference. a huge difference online versus when you're changing a fader level in a live room you don't necessarily always hear those changes at least as much as you do on broadcast broadcast picks up everything it picks up the bad and makes it worse 
It picks up the very small little fader movements. Basically, if you're not like almost slamming the peak, it's not going to be loud enough. A couple ways to accomplish that is one, get a meter that is measuring your loudness on your output. There's a couple different ways of doing that. If you're using waves, there's a plugin for that. You can get a external device that you can send a signal to and it will just measure the output for you. But a couple different options and ways of doing that is you definitely need to add a compressor or multiple to your stream, to the main output and or like a limiter and basically just put that at like 0.2 dB of clipping or until clipping negative 0.2 and just slam your mix into that sucker. If you don't do that, you have so much volume change that you might not necessarily notice through the through your monitors or through your headphones, but it is definitely picked up on the stream. And I have started to do that more. And that's why I think ours is sounding a little bit more legit weekly. Yeah. Yeah. So what is the next step for your process here then as far as your system development and training? Yeah. So I'm going to basically take this next quarter, which technically this next quarter as in April, May, and June, and really dial it in. So I'm going to add most likely two more S1s, really get my template built out and saved with the right settings and everything. I will probably rearrange the room. That's a long discussion that I've been thinking and processing. And That's not so much for doing. the template itself, but just for the overall experience vibe and, and vibe. And I really, again, I want the volunteer to walk in and, everything be successful and done and just ready to go. So if I lean that direction, then I want to get that done before really training and scheduling volunteers. And then I will go through and probably have a training or multiple like training nights of how to open up Pro Tools, how to save your file, how to mix, not necessarily the actual mixing part of it because our team has already been doing that, but obviously it's a little bit different way of doing it, right? So doing that and then, so we don't live stream our Saturday service. We do record it. We live stream it as a private or a hidden video, but we don't broadcast it out to the world. And so what I'll probably do is start having volunteers just mix on Saturdays and then I can send them that link or that mix and then they can listen to it and make notes accordingly and then transfer over to mixing for for Sunday. Solid. So like that's the plan. So yeah, so this next quarter is just basically really fine tuning it now that it is actually up and running and sounding pretty stinking good. Just fine tuning a little bit more and then start the training. So I'm thinking probably volunteer wise, We'll probably go live July, maybe. I'll be actively mixing it. So if I'm not on anything, then I will be mixing it. That's what I've been doing for the last three-ish months. So not every weekend, but maybe three weekends out of the month, I've been mixing the broadcast from it. So again, just kind of getting everything dialed in and stuff. So what do you guys see? Because you have all these volunteers. Must be nice. It is pretty nice, but a lot of them are brand new volunteers. Which is also nice. Which is very nice. Um, So I see us more so focusing in on some training and development right away. Um, Got a few guys coming in with experience, but others not having any experience. So we'll probably host multiple workshop nights going over, in this context specifically, audio, but I'll also have some video training and presenter training as well and then virtual sound check training virtual sound check training the only way to do it oh yeah oh yeah and then as far as getting like a DAW up and running 
probably work that in simultaneously and then launch that about the same time if we're not ready sooner than that. Right. Nice. But yeah, I'd like to make sure that all of our volunteers are well aware of everything audio going on in the room and then in this new space where we'll have mixing set up. I was going to ask you a question a long time ago. You remember And then I forgot. And now I remember it. When you had Ableton set up as your, when you were using that to mix, did you have a backup plan for when that, if and when that computer failed? Yeah, we had a backup plan and we had to use it often. Oh man. And that was why we went back to our front of house mix from there outside of not having volunteer support as well. Sure. So that wasn't automatic like yours is. So we're sending the signal off of the front of house board to the DAW, but then we sent the DAW left, right back to the board and then the board was sent to the stream. So I could say, got it. Okay. Either send the computer mix to the stream. Right. Or send the front of house matrix mix to the stream. Got it. Okay. So, hey, this isn't working. Yep. Let's just switch it over. Yep. Quick few seconds. Done. When, when you were having issues, what were the issues? Like, did your did Ableton freeze? Did the computer lock up? Yeah, lockups here and there or just little annoyances, yeah. honestly. Yeah. Got it. But that's behind us and that's been several, I guess, a year and a half ago at this point. Several year and a half ago. Yeah. And, and now you're about to enter the world again. When we enter it again, I want it to be a so much when you, better experience. So, okay, let's talk about that real quick. When you enter that again, oh boy, what do you, do you still plan on using Ableton? Do you plan on using the same computer? Are you going to use a different DAW? Are you not going to use a DAW and you're going to get a Surface? What do you, what do you see? Initially, I would like to use that Surface, the Persona Surface that we have here yep. to control a DAW. Right now, we're kind of in the research and development phase as far as which DAW would be the best DAW to use. You own Logic. We own and Logic Ableton. and Ableton. Okay. So one of those two right now sounds like the best. That's, yeah. But at the same time, we know that Pro Tools is very popular. Yeah. Um, Personas has their Studio One Studio software, One, yeah. which, and then there's Reaper, know, Cubase, Reaper. All Reaper, these other I options. would probably say if you do not have a DAW and you don't have a big budget to spend on a DAW, I highly recommend Reaper. We had Reaper, so... You were using it for multi-track We were. Playback. So we were using just tracks by Waves for a long time for our virtual sound check and recording and things like that. That all of a sudden, I shouldn't say all of a sudden, but that went off the edge and no longer supported. So we switched to Reaper and we use Reaper for quite a while. I'd say a couple of years we use Reaper. Not much of a DAW for mixing, but for virtual sound checks. So straight in recording, straight back out for playback. And it is pretty amazing for very little money. And I believe churches get a discount very similar to like a student educational discount. Oh, that's cool. If I remember correctly. So, but go ahead. So most likely a DAW, yeah. but you're still in the research phase as of which one. As far as the computer right now in the room is a 2013 iMac. And that's what you were using. That's what we were using. Yeah. But we may end up using my laptop or something else to mix that until we can get like an a, M1. M1 Mac Mini or yep. Mac Studio, maybe. Or a studio, yep. They, they, they keep pumping out computers and... They got to take our money somehow. <laughs> it's crazy. Don't get me started on Apple and Lightning Cables and USB-C, USB-C. again. I, how many times have I called them out? Several. Several. They just keep taking our money. But anyway, I think that kind of sums up this whole topic of mixing broadcast. Yes. Except for the fact that we've alluded to some plugins and things like that that we use in our context for broadcast or even front of house yep so when we come back next week next week we're gonna dive into plugins the world of plugins yep how to use them when to use them when not to use them what Uh, to use amazing stuff like that 
So be sure to like, follow, and subscribe to this podcast. Yes. And what about this Philo ticket that we're giving away? Yeah, we have a Philo ticket that we're giving away. You've seen the post on our Instagram page about the Philo conference. So be sure to comment on that post and we will be selecting a winner. We will. We're going to get get you one ticket to Philo, which is an awesome conference at Willow Creek. Here in the Chicagoland area in May. You got to go. So uh, until then, we will see you guys next week. See ya.